Sponsorship of the KQED live audio stream comes from Xfinity Mobile, featuring customized wireless plans. Customers can choose unlimited, buy the gig, shared data, or a mix of both and switch it up anytime. Learn more at XfinityMobile.com. From KQED in San Francisco, this is the Writer's Block. My name is Eric Puckner, and I'm going to read from my new novel, Model Home. Model Home is, uh, is a novel about uh, the Ziller family. Um, they're a downwardly mobile family living in Southern California in the 1980s. The uh, family members are Warren, who's the patriarch. He's a real estate developer who's losing all of his money. Then there's Camille, his wife, who makes educational videos. Then Dustin, their oldest son, who's 17. Lyle, who's actually a girl, short for Delilah, who's 16. And Jonas, the youngest, who's 11 years old. In the first chapter of the book, um, the book opens with Warren's car being repossessed, and he ends up lying to his family about it because he doesn't want his family to know about their financial straits. The um, chapter I'm going to read from is chapter 2. I'm going to be reading the beginning of that chapter, and this is from Lyle, the 16-year-old girl's perspective. Lyle's mother had to drive her to work, a universe of suck because her dad's car had been stolen from the driveway, and he'd had to borrow Lyle's Renault, which, despite having the words Le Car stenciled on the door in bubble letters, was infinitely less embarrassing than riding with her mom. They drove through the hills of Herodura Estates, slow as a hearse. An anemic-looking cyclist overtook them on John's Canyon Road. Lyle slid down in her seat. There were several things that embarrassed her about her mother's Volvo. One, it had her mother in it. Two, there was a post-it note on the steering wheel that said, Recycle Bottles. Three, the stereo was typically playing something called, Come Ye Makers of Song. Four, they were often mistaken for people with special needs, because her mom insisted on signaling before pulling into a parking space. Worst of all were the slogans plastered all over the back bumper, No Apartheid, Keep Your Laws Off My Body, Good Planets Are Hard to Find, and the more bluntly confessional, I Break for Spotted Owls. Dustin wanted to replace it with, I don't need to break because I'm barely moving. Last week, her mom had added, commit random acts of kindness, which to Lyle perfectly summed up her psychotic brand of cheerfulness. There was someone jogging on the wood chip trail that ran along the road, Jennifer Boone, a senior at Palos Verdes High who lived down the street. Lyle slid even lower in her seat. Her mother honked as they passed, which caused Jennifer to startle like a deer and veer dangerously toward the bushes. I can't believe Dad's car got stolen, Lyle said sullenly, hoping her mom was unrecognizable in tennis clothes. She was wearing a pink izod, a skirt fringed with Lilliputian pom-poms, and a see-through visor that made her look like a bank teller from Bonanza. Isn't that why we live in a gated community, to prevent theft? This isn't a gated community, honey. It's, it's an equestrian village. There are gates, right? They go up and down. That's for the horses, her mother said. Otherwise, people would drive through all day and scare them. Lyle squinted at her mom, wondering if she really believed they lived on a dude ranch in the suburban hills of L.A. An intriguing theory, since it might explain the visor. Lyle would not have been surprised if the horseback riders who occasionally ambled by their house were stooges brought in by Herodura Estates. She couldn't help being impressed by the marketing genius involved. Just paint some horse crossings on the street, call yourself an equestrian village, and rich people came running. This is all Dad's fault for moving us out here, she said, the car getting stolen. In Neshota, you always complained about how boring it was. I seem to remember you saying you couldn't wait to leave. Anyway, the guards don't do jack. 
They're rent-a-cops. All you have to do is give the name of a resident. Her mom sighed, checking the rearview mirror. Do you really have to be so negative? As long as people believe it, what does it matter? It mattered deeply. Lyle's mother, of course, was one of the deceived. She read books with healing or mindfulness in the title. She went on check-writing sprees to save various birds of prey. Once she'd bought a newborn calf for a poor farmer in Mali and was shocked to receive a picture in the mail one day, a wordless thank you, showing the meat drying in lurid strips from the farmer's roof. She'd rushed to the bathroom in tears. He's starving to death, Lyle wanted to shout. Of course he's going to eat it. Most infuriating of all was her mother's optimism. Whenever Lyle said she disliked someone, her mom looked at her with her eyebrows pinched into a V, head cocked to one side as if she were draining an ear. You don't really hate that person, she'd say. You just have different values. But Lyle did hate people. Hating people was one of her biggest hobbies. Just last night, in fact, she'd started a list of things she despised. One, people who call old women cute. Two, people who talk about dead relatives as if they're happier now. Three, anyone who refers to herself as a chocoholic. Four, DBCs, dumb shits in baseball caps. Five, the adjective hot for anything except weather. Six, people who use the term 110%. Seven, song titles with numbers in place of words. Eight, people who own Smith's records and don't know the lead singer is gay. Nine, volleyball. Ten, convertibles. Eleven, Bob Marley. Twelve, anyone who uses the word ganja. Thirteen, dogs small enough that they shiver when they take a dump. Fourteen, people who look at you funny when you use the word ingratiate. Fifteen, people who order in Spanish at Mexican restaurants, mom. Sixteen, people who say, decisions, decisions, when looking at a menu. Seventeen, bathroom graffiti that rhymes, wine me, dine me, sixty-nine me. Eighteen, the Beach Boys. Nineteen, people who check their car for scratches before getting in. Twenty, people who refer to little boys as boss or chief. Twenty-one, anyone who says a sentence, and who do we have here? Twenty-two, volleyball, times two. Twenty-three, California. This last one she'd written in big letters and retraced again and again until the letters engraved several pages of her journal, fading gradually like a wound. She detested it, this land of jeeps and joggers. The Golden State. What kind of stupid nickname was that? Perhaps it wasn't supposed to describe the place itself so much as a fascist condition. If you weren't golden, you had no right to exist. Lyle used to go to the beach when they first moved here, hoping she might get a tan like the Audres and Stephanies in her class, her skin turning brown and luscious. She lay in a deserted corner of the beach, sweating and miserable, terrified someone from school would see her and notice how pale she was. A circus freak, the whitest girl in California. She was determined to stay until she looked like the other girls, the ones with butterflies of sand stuck to their asses, running into the waves and twirling around with a squeal. Instead, she burned herself so miserably she couldn't sleep. Her skin blistered and peeled off like saran wrap, leaving her whiter than before. After a month of suffering, she realized it was hopeless and gave up completely. She'd been bored in Wisconsin, bored living on the same puny lake her whole life, but at least she hadn't felt like a freak of nature. She hadn't cried herself to sleep because some DBC had called her Vampira at school. On their way out of Herodura Estates, Lyle's mother pulled up to the guardhouse in its red-striped gate, which lifted magically as they approached. She brought the car to a stop in order to say hello to Hector, the new gatekeeper. Lyle waited with mounting dread as her mother rolled down the window. Please don't speak Spanish, she thought. Please don't, please don't, please don't, please don't, please don't. Hola, her mother said in a cheerful voice. Como estas? 
The NBN, Hector said, smiling through his mustache. He looked vaguely amused, as though doing his best to conceal the fact that he spoke perfect English. Houston. Nosotros estemos yendo a la shopping mall. Her mother actually said shopping mall in a Spanish accent. Hector cupped his ear. A donde? The mall, Lyle's mother said. The perfect scoop for my daughter's job. Ella vende helado. Hector ducked down and smiled at Lyle in the passenger seat as though she were six years old. She felt like flashing him her tits. Que bueno. Le gustan los libros, siempre. How do you say it? A worm. Lyle's mother stuck her finger out the window and began to wiggle it around. Hector squinted at it from the guardhouse. She still goes to work, he said finally, looking concerned. Claro que sí, her mother said, smiling. She said goodbye, and Hector relaxed back into his chair, believing no doubt that Lyle had worms. Lyle wanted to murder her mother. She would strangle her slowly and then dump her out of the car and drive to New York, where she'd never have to wear shorts and where it was okay, sophisticated even, not to be tan. She'd never actually been to New York, but she was sure that paleness was a sign of cachet. Certainly there was no volleyball. If you tried to play volleyball in New York, people would throw things at you from the street. They would stone you with cigarettes and umbrellas. To subscribe to the Writer's Block and hear more stories, visit kqed.org slash writersblock. The Writer's Block is produced by KQED.